This is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the National Tsunami podcast. Today, we were offering five conversations from episode 36, in which first-time guest and Anglo-Australian hepatologist James O'Byrne joins Louise Campbell, old friend Naeem Al-Khoury, and me to discuss James's recent Locate Naples study to evaluate strategies for and the value of recruiting high-risk referrals through primary care practices, plus a vault episode from last November addressing the psychology of diet decision-making. This final conversation starts with me suggesting that upscaling training is going to be important for this process to succeed. Louise Campbell follows up with a comment that we must remember these are complicated technologies to use and the dedication in that upscale training is pivotal. After a digression to consider the size of the indigenous candidate population in the study, answered there were not many. We move on to my final question. With James discussing what comes next in the Locate Naffold study analysis and follow-up studies, and the rest of us commenting on what we take away from this discussion in terms of improving screening or cost-effectiveness. This podcast does not report much on study from Australia, which is an environment with some unique challenges that other developed markets would do well to study more and understand better. This episode and its conversation covered parallels between Oz and the Western countries, and as a result, items the Western markets can take away when reviewing these results. It's quite a lot to digest and very exciting to consider. So sit back, listen, learn, enjoy. And when you're done, join the dialogue in our LinkedIn discussion group. So, so one of the things I take out of the last five minutes of this conversation, though, is that as we start to make this more real and more consistent, we need to either upscale the level of training that we're giving the operators or develop machines that are simpler to handle, right? I don't know if the second one's possible. I'm not a tech, if I'm not a scientist, I'm clearly not a technology guy on this stuff, but it would, it, it would feel to me that for us to make significant advances in health, we're going to have to become a little more consistent about this. Louise Campbell. I think that's true, but we've got to stop saying that FibroScan is a simple test it is a very simple test in the correct hands. It can be a very complicated test and a wrong test in the wrong hands. Like any test, it can be operator dependent, but we do know, we've done evidence that says you can do, as long as they're skilled and they know what they're doing, interoperator variability is actually quite good and very good, but actually where you don't have skilled users. Now in the UK, we look at around about 30 to 50 supervised scans before you're said that you're proficient. But we have one of the only regulated fiber scan systems in the world, everything else, most of the world, it's not regulated. So there is no control mechanism on it. I'd like to see more control, but I work in a regulated society, so I have to produce all of the documents and prove my evidence to my regulators. But I would like to see a little bit more going in on that for that proficiency. But yes, I would love a simple handheld tool that I can just do and it removes all of that. But I think it will still be position on the liver dependent. So one thought on that, and then we're going to close in question, which is because I'm really old, as I frequently confess. I remember a period of time back in the 80s and 90s and aughts, really 80s and 90s, when we would see new antibiotics come to market. And they would claim that for one reason or another, they had a superior resistance profile to whatever came before them. And it turned out the real reason was not enough patients that had them yet. So famously, the fluoroquinolone, ciprofloxacin was originally marketed as being something that because I think of plasmids would never have a resistance issue. And once enough people got it, of course it did. So the analogy here being the claim that one technology will be less operator dependent than the other can only be proven out after a lot of operators have used it. And until then, I think 
your point about the dedication to training really is going to be pivotal if, if we're going to make this a core technology of what we do. Can I ask one question that I have been wanting to ask? James, did you have a split? And if it was, what was the split between non-Indigenous and Indigenous Australians? So your Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander population. James O'Byrne. So on the Sunshine Coast, we have a, actually quite a small Indigenous population. So we had two sort of main study sites. One was on the Sunshine Coast, which is sort of semi-regional. And then there was a metropolitan site. So overall, the number of Indigenous candidates was actually quite small, but equally split between the intervention arm and the non-intervention arm. But to be honest, the numbers are so small that I could not possibly begin to tell you anything about that, sadly, because I guess it's one of the the things about the, the part of Queensland where we are, where there's a very low representation of Indigenous peoples, which is a shame. So as we roll past the hour, uh, final question, and James, I have a different question for you than I have for the others. My question to you is, what's next? And my question to the others is, what do you take from this that will help you in what you're doing right now, either to implement differently, think about it differently, or just educate people better on the right thing to do? James, I'm going to ask you to go first on what's next, and then you guys on the other question. Okay, so we still have some analysis to do for the primary outcome measures, but what's really next is to get into the meat of the patient experience, and we've already done a lot of qualitative interviews and surveys of patients in both arms, and indeed the primary care providers and what their experience is, because ultimately at the end of this, we want to be able to say the complete package is this is an intervention that leads to an earlier diagnosis of advanced fibrosis or a, a, or high-risk uh, fibroscan readings. It's acceptable to patients, it's acceptable to primary care providers, and it's cost-effective. That's the next series of manuscripts, if you will. After that, I think we need to sort of see if people take it up and, ro- and roll it out in other, um, in other areas. We would certainly say that from our perspective, I think once we get into the realm of effective pharmacotherapy, I think it will be quite useful in terms of screening out those people who would be candidates for trials or even for a fully FDA-approved drug. Okay, good. Um, Louise or Naeem? Naeem Alkuri. Just uh, listening to James and again, congratulations again on doing this randomized controlled trial. You know, at Arizona Liver Health, all we do is clinical trials, but usually they're pharmaceutical companies sponsored. We do phase one to three. I've done some investigator-initiated studies, but everything was comparing, you know, therapeutic interventions. I haven't done anything comparing diagnostic interventions and uh, he got me thinking about designing some trials where you do head-to-head comparison against standard of care but also between different NITs. You can have the ELF pathway, you can have the FibroScan pathway, potentially a new technology and look at potentially outcomes and maybe having a gold standard that's more sophisticated tests like an MR elastography or one of the MR-based scores but then looking at these simpler NITs and really providing uh, more accurate information on how they perform head-to-head so we can come up with the best NIT strategies. So I really appreciate being invited to be part of this episode, enjoyed the discussion and got me thinking about some new directions, which is the best outcome you can get from a podcast. So thank you. Thanks, Naeem. Louise, go ahead. I love Naeem and I love it when he gets thinking because I can hear him ticking. On a sort of secondary note to that, it is that whole thing of being able to take it out because I now have a picture of Naeem with a bicycle with a fiber scan, a um, Escopix machine. 
things running and cycling around. Certainly in all seriousness, it's that ability to get it out. You've shown a pathway for me that I use in Towers and Health, which is no specialist delivered fibre scans to any location to be able to do exactly what you're doing. So I believe that that model does work. I believe it is more cost effective. I think on the back of what Naeem is saying, if we're going to get people into trials before we're, they're all treated with a Zempic or Wegovy and we're going to have anybody left, then we're going to have to go for a 10-day screening process to get them into the higher risk options. And I think you've shown a way that that could happen to recruit into clinical studies, clinical trials. And I suppose what I'd like to see is if this protocol could be adapted for all liver disease to get everybody with liver disease 10 day, whether it's alcohol, whether it's hemochromatosis, whether it's autoimmune, that anybody referred to a liver pathway should be able to get their fibre scan and into specialist care in a triaged. I can't wait. We definitely, I suppose, we'll definitely have him back for the outpatient formats and their experiences. Yeah, I totally agree. As, as I've been listening, there's two thoughts that have stayed in the back of my head. First of all, the new nomenclature, MET-ALD. The mixed population is going to be really interesting to look at on this. Right, and that's just not a population we've thought about before. Or we've yep. thought about, but we yep. haven't been able to. I mean, to. it would have been fun. It would have been much easier to recruit into the study if we would, <laughs> we could have had uh, met ALD as a definition rather than pure non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. Because in Queensland, it's hot, and we like a beer. Every RCA I've ever met likes a beer. I tell they like too many, and then they can't anymore. But that's a, that's a whole different question. Bundaberg produce rum, so they like that too. Yeah, well, it's exactly right. Exactly right. Now you're on my speed, as you know. And, and then the second thought was the one we've been through already, which is this will depend to some degree on the consistency operator or the consistency of result, which is either about operator training or it's about more easily operable equipment or biopsies. And Naeem, that led me to exactly where you were, which is that more than that I don't think we're evaluating enough right now, is of the various techniques available to us, which will produce results most consistently against, as you say, MRE or, or, or the right kind of standard. James, this has been fantastic. It's, I think it's been mind expanding for me and for Louise and Naeem. I hope for our audience, we have to have you back when you got uh, more results on the patients of the qualitative. And um, thank you so much for joining today. Oh, well, thank you very much for inviting me. I really enjoyed it. Thank you very much. And now back to Roger. We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode, please put them in the review section of the page from which you downloaded this conversation or send an email to questions at surfingnash.com. We'll be back next week with another challenging topic. Till then, stay safe. Surf on. We'll see you on the podcast. Bye-bye now. Surfing Nash.